sound good. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Occult Rejects with your hosts, me, Lux. And the MY Patriot. Today we have a special guest on, pretty excited for. Uh, we have Dan from the End of Days Radio podcast. And uh, Dan, just uh, tell people where they can find you and sort of what is it that you cover. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me on the Occult Rejects podcast. I'm so excited to appear on here and get to know you guys. End of Days Radio can be found anywhere that you get podcasts and pretty much anywhere you can get videos as well. So you can check us out on Apple, of course, everything from Stitcher to Spotify to iHeartRadio. You can get us on, on a stream, 24-hour stream on TuneIn. Also, just go to endofdaysradio.com and you'll be able to access all that stuff very easily. We're just recently on BitChute as well. So in uh, YouTube, of course, End of Days Radio on YouTube. So you can pretty much get us anywhere. Awesome. Nice. I actually came across, uh, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to one of my fans right here, General Lee. Uh, I did not know who you were until he put me on to you. So it's pretty cool how like things work out with fans and stuff. Yeah. Big shout out to Lee. He's been tremendously helpful for me. I went on his show and, um, you know, he was having a little trouble getting started. And I'm, I'm glad I stuck with him because he's been a tremendous help. He's uh, actually connected me with quite a few really cool podcasters oh, and right? helped facilitate some appearances. So I want to give him a big Thanksgiving thank you. Yeah, no, for real. On my show, that I've booked so many guests just recently because of him. It's, it's actually pretty wild. <laughs> Oh, really? Uh, wow. He's a maniac. <laughs> I edited that episode that you did with him. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> That's how I knew who you were. He sent me your episode and asked me to edit it, and I sent it back to him. I'm like, yo, that was a good one. I was like, who is this dude? Hardest working so, dude in podcasting, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, too. It's cool because you start to, uh, at least, you know, since we've been doing this, uh, but especially in the last couple of years, you've noticed that the community of people talking about certain subjects, it's become a, a lot uh, more close knit. And I also have noticed that it seems like a lot of the grifters or the people who are sharing, you know, uh, false information that uh, I don't know. It just seems like there's a, a good community that's being built while keeping some of those people who are just grifting further out. You know? No, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, it seems like a shift in the, People stopping to listen to bullshit as much. Right. Which is nice to see. Yeah, there's. I, I've been doing this for over 12 years, and I've seen a lot of shows come and go. A lot of people just do like four or five episodes, and they'll just totally give up on it. Uh, but so, it, you know, big shout out to all those that are digging their heels in, and whether you're making money or not, if you're trying to get truth out there, I just want to thank every single one of you podcasters out there that's working hard and not getting paid much. A real thank you to all of you. Yeah, yeah seriously. Good stuff, man. Definitely. So the Illuminati. We figured since uh, this is coming out after the Frankist uh, stuff that we did, I figured this would actually be a good follow-up. For sure. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and when we say Illuminati, <laughs> this is, of course, a very deep rabbit hole because you really have two Illuminatis. You have the original Illuminati, which was a, a an organization that goes back to pretty much Atlantean times, perhaps even before then. It was originally called the Brotherhood of the Snake. It was created by Anki. And since then, it's been perverted 
and dragged down and inverted. And now it's something quite different. I wouldn't really consider the Illuminati nowadays to be the true Illuminati, even though they stole that name with the uh, Bavarian Illuminati back in the uh, 1700s. Very interesting. So it's, and it's funny that you brought that up because uh, I've mentioned that on a couple podcasts before that, you know, when you bring up the Atlantis subject and things like that, um, a lot of people are, can be hesitant, but as a matter of fact, you know, literally the golden dawn from their perspective, which was the secret society that I was in, they take Atlantis as fact and not a being a, uh, a, you know, a metaphor, but an actual physical place. So yeah, yeah, for all right. of our listeners, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to say, even in uh, Crowley stuff or you know Thelemic stuff, you will see references to uh, to that, and I I could be wrong. I think maybe even Lemuria or something close to that. So uh, it is even a, th- a thought and a belief within ceremonial magic. Yeah, and that's really the only place where these traditions have survived is in the secret societies, in the Golden Dawn, in the OTO, perhaps, and in Freemasonry, and especially Rosicrucianism. That's where you see a lot of it, uh, the uh, Brothers of the Rose. A lot of this information has only been passed down through secret societies, and the only way you're going to get it, at least pre-internet, is to join one of these societies. Luckily, nowadays, there's a lot of information on the internet. A lot of it is disinformation, but I think that your average person can probably unlock a lot of secrets as long as they use discernment and have a little bit of spiritual guidance. They can pretty much learn most of what you're going to learn inside of a secret society. Not that I've ever been a part of one or any sort of magical order or anything like that. I find these things to be supremely interesting. So uh, there's my take on that. Never never been in an order or anything, although I, I have definitely done a lot of experimentation uh, with magic and a lot of reading into the occult. Oh, I see. I didn't even actually know that. That's interesting. I definitely think uh, you do not need secret societies to accomplish uh, the positive aspect that comes with that stuff. So I, I totally agree with you there. And it's it's my understanding. I think, both, I don't think the secret societies are going to pull you farther away from the truth. It's my understanding that both of you guys actually kind of come from that world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we it's very interesting because we found out a lot of useful information while we were in secret societies. But, you know, at the same time, like the New York Patriots said, there is a lot of disinformation within secret societies and there's this gatekeeping that happens. So, you know, you're told that you're going to get all of the secrets, but then you move up a level and some, it's, you know, they change something from before and that wasn't the complete truth in the beginning. And that goes up to a lot of different, um, a lot of different uh, secret societies. And it, while we were just researching the Frankists, which was a Sabbatean Frankist, uh, an extreme, uh, extreme like heretic uh, sect of Judaism, that they had a plan that they were going to try to infiltrate schools, academia, even secret societies, so that they could more or less keep the secrets uh, away from those who they didn't want to have it. And what's interesting is even a lot of the tells that they tell us about things like that, I I even question if those are true because they very well could be their own little alchemical mini stories that are alluding to something far more grand that sort of happened over the millennia, over uh, during the ancient times. A lot of the stuff about the Bavarian Illuminati, for example, I find to 
be a little bit fake sounding, kind of like the uh, chemical romance. I find it to be full of symbology and full of little code words that most likely allude to something far greater that stretches back to ancient times when these dark forces originally started taking over the mystery schools. Mm. I understand what he's saying. I, I often think that uh, even like with the story of like you know, Crowley in the OTO, sometimes I wonder is like, is this uh, fabricated to an extent to where it's telling you more than you actually are getting out of it? Probably uh, like, even with that. Mm. OTO, I, I think uh, I don't think that the truth is really known about the conception or who Alistair Crowley was, but I think uh, somewhere in those stories, it's actually kind of like a parable. Crowley was an expert on this exact type of stuff that I'm talking about, as far as sending a message and saying several different things, and at the same time, kind of covering it up. He knew exactly how. Yes. To, well, yeah. well, that was another thing too. That's why I, I did think he was an occult genius because even I had thought uh, he did a lot of that. You know, when I first started getting into the OTO, um, you know, he could write two two lines, and th that could be have like five different fucking things it's telling you. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many stories of Crowley. You could literally just sit around for hours and just pass different crazy stories about him. He's probably the guy that's that's gone deepest into magic that we can think of, at least in modern times, without getting into like somebody like Merlin or John Dee or somebody like that. Yeah, Merlin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, he definitely uh, took the things to the extreme. <laughs> uh. Sure. And what Crowley was doing, first of all, he was a genius. He was a genius at magic. I mean, the guy pretty much yes. taught himself Hebrew. Um, he actually got into an Enochian magic, which is probably one of the most dangerous types of magic because of what it can do to your, you know, your personal destiny and your timeline. It's kind of like playing chess with your own future. Uh, there's many people that believe that Crowley may have been the one to initiate the end of days through his um, Enochian magic and Babylon workings and stuff of that nature. In fact, Crowley, he knew a form of magic that was even deeper than these types of magic that the um, only some very high up members of the Illuminati practice that are part of Druidic orders. It's called Draconian magic, and it's something that they don't really talk about because that's how secret it is. It's interesting you said that, unless it was you, I don't think it was you I was having the conversation with, but I was talking to somebody recently and they were going on about uh, druidic magic kind of being, uh, you know, the original maybe, uh, or close to it. You know, I know even Michael Tassarian, I think, even goes on about that as well. Oh, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites, one of my favorite uh, alternate history guys, because he's he's from the Rosicrucian side of things i believe his mother was a rosicrucian or something like that it's hard to tell what's the truth with some of these guys but uh well you know what from his tarot book i had assumed he was into something you know i was like it was like here again we have somebody who's putting out stuff but people probably don't even realize he's probably just like uh, you know mia lux or somebody else that was actually involved in the shit and stopped or they're just talking about it now in their own way yeah, exactly. He's definitely one of my favorites. And uh, Ralph Ellis, who appeared on my show quite a long time ago, uh, he also goes very deep into the ancient history side of things. And he has a very interesting theory about uh, Jesus Christ. He has a whole different take on things. So people that are into alternate history, definitely check out Michael Tessarian and Ralph Ellis as well. 
Yeah, yeah. very good stuff. <clears throat> so the Illuminati. I, that a lot more too. <laughs> I was kind of interested in uh, this older one that you were talking about because I really don't know much about that. Yeah, so obviously the Illuminati, a lot of this, a lot of these symbols you see, like in Washington D.C., of course we can tell it's Egyptian, and that's because these traditions, I mean, they're Hebrew Egyptian traditions. If we look at the Hebrew language and line it up against Egyptian, um, the the words aren't that much different. There's a lot of Hebrew cultural things that tie directly to Egypt, so. You know, this is controversial because uh, religious people, it can make them very angry, you know, especially if they're very devout. But most likely, all of these ancient cultures around the Mesopotamia, North Africa area, they all seem very interrelated. Their languages are very similar. They worship the same pantheons of gods. If we actually break them down and play a little who's who, we could figure out that somebody like uh, Set from Egypt, well, that's actually Baal. When the, mm. when the Hyksos were in Egypt, ancient Egypt, they immediately started worshiping Set because he was the closest thing to their Canaanite Baal. So before they were actually expulsed from Egypt, before they were sent flying, sent packing, and the story of the Hyksos very well might be the story of Moses and the Exodus and the Jews actually traveling from Egypt to Canaan. But we don't know that for sure. It's just that if we actually look in the historical records, we don't really have any evidence of a guy named Moses. We don't really have evidence of stuff like that happening. But what we do have evidence is of the Hyksos rebellion. So it's very possible that, and, and this is something that a guy like Michael Tessarian would probably agree with that there may have been this ancient cult in Egypt that was unhappy with the way of things. And it may have been some sort of dark priesthood. And, and that might actually be where the Exodus comes from. I mean, it, it might be like a deception or something like that. I mean, as a, as a Christian, I don't personally believe that, but the fact of the matter is that these Egyptian symbols, they go way back. These Hebrew symbols, they go way back and they all start to kind of merge together once we get far back enough, especially a lot of the serpent imagery. A lot of that's been found in, in ancient uh, Hebrew Canaanite territories and places like that. So your stone stonecutters or Freemasons, this is an ancient Jewish Egyptian tradition that is really older than both of them. You know, uh, Egypt actually has record or they did in the past of the Atlantean world, because that's how long their tradition goes back. In fact, there's been work done on the Sphinx that shows that it's probably way older than we could possibly imagine. So what this tradition most likely actually is, is a priesthood from Atlantean pre-Atlantean times that comes straight from the gods. You know, the, the Kings back then they were hybrids. They were half gods, so to speak. If you look at the Sumerian kings list, you'll see that they lived for thousands and thousands of years, you know, 30,000 years, 20,000 years, 50,000 years. And as time moves forward, we see them living less and less long. Noah himself lived 950 years. And, and how is that possible? Well, it's possible because 
these people had godly DNA inside of them. They had some kind of angelic DNA, something that was different than today. After the flood happened, our lifespans became very short and we lost any ability on a personal level. Like, for example, me, Daniel, End of Days Radio. I know so much doing my show and researching, but I'm now almost 40 years old. In another 20 years, I'm probably not even going to be involved with this stuff, to be quite honest. You're not going to see me, you know, hanging around and doing all this crazy stuff, getting involved in crazy stuff. I'm probably going to be too old. And that puts a limit on me. I can't sit here and learn endless amount of knowledge until my mind explodes because there's a limit. And that gives certain rulers an advantage, especially if they may have lifespans, probably not as old as these pre-diluvial kings or a lot of the ones that came after that. But let's say they live twice as long as us because they drink a little blood here and there, or they have certain magic potions or magic scientific alchemical potions that they use to live a little bit longer. That gives them a huge advantage guys, because if they have been around longer than us, they know what the true history is. They have so much longer to learn all the tricks, all the, tricks that these aristocratic families use to manipulate society, it puts us at a severe disadvantage. Yeah. And they're very uh, focused on preserving the bloodlines that, uh, you know, the Royal bloodlines that go back millennia and they intermarry with each other. And then uh, I'm sure that there's so much occult information that they've, that they've kept hidden because I mean, you cannot, after the researching secret societies that we have, just for example, the Rothschilds, they were involved with uh, an order of Quetzalcoatl, which is an inner order of Shriners. And uh, I mean, they were sponsoring events and things like that. So what, what, why in the world would uh, the Rothschilds, a banking family, what interest would they have of funding this once a year giant ceremony where... It's called the Feast of Fire, <laughs> and of course, oh so you got more of the you got the Order of Quetzalcoatl, which is the imagery of Quetzalcoatl is a serpent, right? And it's a plumed serpent, so it's got all these different colors kind of going up and down. Mm. Which Sometimes was I even think that is still with the uh, that Egyptian symbol, the flying disc. Sometimes I even think it's kind of a playoff of that. Yeah, and of course, what what did the original Mayans and Aztecs do to appease Quetzalcoatl? Well, they shed their blood. They would sacrifice uh, people to the, to this God. So it is really interesting because uh, to me, it seems like the Rothschilds might have a vested interest in celebrating this feast of fire, something they're promoting, something that they could be involved with. So, I mean, it goes, uh, it goes a lot deeper than I think a lot of people kind of initially think. Absolutely. And, and what you're talking about is actually an, an ancient blood rite. And earlier, you know, before we started the show, I was talking a little bit about vampires. And yeah, there's fantasy vampires. They're very goofy. You know, they're big fangs and they sleep in coffins. Shows like True Blood and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff like that. But Blade. what was that? Blade. Blade, yeah, Blade's badass. I love Blade. The Daywalkers. But point being that these myths, these fantasies, these stories, movies, and TV shows, they the reason why there's so many of them 
and they're so popular is because the Illuminati kind of like that we sort of hold them in that sort of, they like that we are into vampires. They're very conceited and they like the fact that there's a romantic sort of idea floating around their whole existence. They love that stuff. Even the book Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, there's a lot of information in there that Bram Stoker probably shouldn't even have known. These blood rites that the royal families have used for longer than any of us remember, even the history books remember, well, they might not have been necessarily as horrific as the Aztec Mayan blood sacrifices. There's a actually a picture from the Mayan world of one of their ancient ruins in one of their temples, and it's a it's a, a thing on a wall. It's a carving on a wall. The Mayans, their ability to carve was just exquisite. It was beyond anything that people can do nowadays. The the detail that they were able to to carve into stone, and that's because the Mayans most likely were another one of these lost Atlantean tribes. They probably settled on the coast of the New World and then sort of took over and brought a lot of their traditions and things probably broke down as time went on. So they're an example of civilization being very high in the past. And we also see this in other areas such as Tibet and Cambodia. We see remnants of this ancient sort of culture from those Atlantean times. And in in this particular effigy, this carving on the wall, it shows a, a ruler, a man, and he's actually cutting himself with some sort of sharp vines and there's blood dripping from his arm into the mouth of another guy. And that's because back then the blood rites weren't necessarily as evil and gory as they've devolved into now. It was actually a way of sharing the ancient ancestral memories of your tribe. It was a way of bonding with your rulers. It was a way for the rulers to gain sort of a psychic overlordship over their people and a lot of this really gory, sort of horrific stuff, what it most likely actually is, is a corruption of these ancient rites. It's like, hey, okay, we know what blood tastes like. We like blood. We're not going to follow the rules. We're just going to go crazy and drink it all the time. And from that point, things get very evil and disgusting. Most Christians would probably disagree with this. They would say any sort of blood drinking is absolutely evil. It's all the same thing. That very well might be true, but there's a difference between a lot of these blood rites that were happening in the ancient past, and then some of these other cultures where they're out on the battlefield and they're ripping each other's heads off and drinking the blood out of the neck. You get what I'm saying? Right. And well, and you do even see it in Christianity, especially with, you know, uh, communion. Thank take you. Of, take of this cup, drink of my blood. This is my flesh. You know, so it, you do still even see remnants of it there, too. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah, exactly that's it. Point. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see it in the Catholic Mass, and people are often wondering where that comes from. Well, that's because there was a period in the past where the Roman Catholic Church was trying to sell all the pagan people that lived in, in the whole general area going way up north down to the south. They were trying to sell them on the idea of Catholicism and Christianity in order for them to do that, they had to absorb the rights that already existed for these people. And one of those rights was the, the drinking of the blood and the, uh, the worship of a, a type of Jesus Christ type of character. Um, there's, there's Addis, there's uh, Mithras, there's 
uh, Horus. There is uh, Zoaster. There's uh, possibly Lucifer. But Lucifer may have been one of these sort of uh, god men that existed in the area of the Celtic regions. We don't know for sure. I've been studying this for a while, and it's very hard to tell if Lucifer was actually a real person or not. But the whole Catholic Lucifer thing might not necessarily be evil. You know what I mean? It might actually just be a pagan tradition that was kind of passed on to the church. It might not be like Illuminati Luciferian. There's definitely an element of that there. But it, it might be that we don't really understand it. There's a historical thing that happened here and a big cover-up. Well, you're definitely right about um, it appealing to uh, other pagan beliefs. If, if you just like look at Christian art or Catholic art and look at it in different areas of the world and seeing what other religion was big around then, you will see it actually pick up things to kind of go along. Uh, like at some points, you know, a really long time ago, Jesus looked much more like Apollo. And then all of a sudden, uh, when Zeus was kind of popular, this dude grew long hair. You know, and then the areas where Isis was popular, all of a sudden Mary was important. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. see that happen. And you'll see it through the art, which is a way of, like, cutting out of the bullshit of, like, well, I read this or I read that. Go look at the art in, in the areas if you want to get this detailed. And check out stuff like that, you will see. It definitely correlates with other pagan beliefs in that area. And, and along those lines, of course. Lie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I do know what you're saying. And along those lines, uh, Mary, Mary, mother of Christ, she's often compared to Isis or Inanna or Ishtar. And a lot of people believe that Easter probably has something to do with that. And if you really delve into the tradition, you'll find that the in the Bible, if you look at Isaiah, it says that Lucifer is the son of Don, and Don is actually a, a god in Greek, a Roman, who has a son. So this biblical account of Lucifer actually does correspond to those very same pagan beliefs, even our, in our own King James Bible. Mm. Yeah, I would, you know, and Lux probably will even agree with this. Um, you're just taking like the Kabbalah itself, the, the tree of life. You can start taking all these names that you hear in all these religions or these pagan beliefs, all these like important names. And you can start putting them on that tree just from like whatever their story is telling. And then you can really see how many of them are really just saying the same shit. And we also have to keep in mind a lot of Christians, they believe that there were some satanic insertions into the Bible around the time when the whole Vatican official church thing started with Constantine and all that. It was very weird how how Constantine sort of gave up all of his power to the church. It's very weird and very suspicious. And then you have the whole idea of the church actually replacing the royalty that existed at the time with with uh, what you were talking about earlier, I, I believe they were um, Sabbatian Jewish families or, or, or very closely related to them. And we were seeing them inserted into the royalty. So that same organization, which today we'd call the Illuminati, but back then I suppose you'd have a different name for them. Really what they are, guys, are ball worshipers. They worship Baal, who's also known as Zeus. 
who very well may be known as Apollo. And these are all the same God that these secret societies are actually worshiping. And most of what we see in modern day religions is just ball worship repackaged for the masses. And this does come from the world of secret societies. That's really what our modern idea of the Illuminati is. It's a big cabal that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with any true enlightenment or true interest and general fascination with the mysteries. It's a, it's like a, a basically a copycat they say that Satan will copy everything that God creates. So just like how the Antichrist is a copycat of Christ, we also have a lot of copycats of, of the truth or what I would see as the truth, as in, you know, there being one God and this this uh, man, Yeshua, who appeared sometime in Israel in the past and had a lot of pretty cool things to say. And he ended up, you know, possibly getting crucified or that might be another insertion, but we do know he was a good guy and he had a lot of good stuff to share with humanity and he taught us to respect each other. But beyond that, we will have a hard time figuring out what's fact and what's fiction. You know, when we actually delve into what these organized religions are teaching people, especially Islam, Islam seemed to have popped up in more modern times and it's done a lot of damage in terms of covering up a lot of these ancient beliefs that various people in the Middle East have, you know, we could talk about the Ugar people. The Ugar are people are Ugar people are basically Canaanites or they're a type of Canaanite who followed the Canaanite religion. So they knew about El and Baal and all that cast of characters that we really don't hear much about nowadays, almost as if it's covered up for some reason. In fact, you know, in, I don't want to interrupt you, but I actually think, um, and, and Lux could probably uh, agree with me with this. Um, I think a lot of stuff about Baal is literally in our faces, all over the place. Um, throughout us going into other secret societies and looking at like their stuff, um, Lux, haven't we kind of come across like a lot of them having their own version of that? Oh yeah, and also, I mean, you, one doesn't have to look much further than what the you know hollywood is putting out or music industry it's all that same symbology over and over and over again yeah i would even say looking at the ball sigil just looking at that makes me think of um cicadas or butterflies yeah yeah and we constantly see butterflies and a lot of occult shit Oh, butterflies. Now that's another now, very now interesting think about rabbit hole. Their, their wings would go along with the, the, the serpent, the phoenix. You know? Yeah, the whole uh, butterfly thing, especially the monarch butterfly, the butterfly that has a genetic memory to return from whence it came. And the whole idea of there being genetic memory. Is there such a thing? Is this something that the so-called Illuminati knows about and is able to exploit? I'd say a lot of this butterfly symbology and the way that this whole monarch word is tossed around would definitely allude to that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the uh, Montauk Project and Stuart Swerdlow and all of that stuff. And you could definitely see, you know, if you get into the Montauk Project and some of these related things and a lot of that creepy Disney Miley Cyrus, Britney Spears stuff and all that, you can really see how badly some of these people are programmed. In fact, Joe Biden is probably a good example of somebody who's been programmed and isn't taking to it too well. My my buddy V kind of got me onto oh, this. 
I've always said I think that the reason he's so fucked up is because he's burnt out from like some kind of a cult shit. Oh, how heck whether, yeah. whether he's doing it on his own or it's being done to him, I think that's why he's the way he is. And we also have to remember that these people are all related. So all of our presidents are related. And we talk about this cabal or mystery group. We really have to go all the way to the beginning. You know, I said I was going to talk a little bit about vampires and what these things really are is they're, they're no different than our idea of the, of the David Icke reptilian alien. So this phenomena of reptilians, it's coming from somewhere. I mean, it's not just a bunch of stupid people making it up. A lot of Christians would probably say that it's a demonic phenomena. And there's probably some truth to that as well. But if we go into ancient times, I mean, the Bible itself, like I can point out Revelations 13, 11, where we're talking about the, uh, you, know, you know, the coming, a false prophet. It says he has horns like a ram and a voice like a dragon. Or actually, this is the beast. Horns like a ram and voice like a dragon. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. What the hell does that mean, guys, to speak as a dragon? Pretty weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny that you brought that one up too because i just was reading that the other day really <laughs> i mean that the imagery is so off the charts uh yeah that would it's just fascinating eternal triad with the three heads that's interesting yeah we're uh yeah again more of the, the triad stuff same as jabulon you know it could be maybe fire for spirit who knows yeah, yeah with the dragon i don't know that's definitely interesting well, what I believe it most likely refers to is the ancient draconian tradition. This, um, what a lot of people might consider nonsense about these reptilian aliens that s- supposedly come from the Orion system. I feel like, as opposed to them coming from space or coming from the Orion system, I'm going to go by what they actually tell people who get abducted by them. They say, We were always here, we were here before you noobs. We were here before you humans. This is our planet. You're ours. And the and the reason they believe this is because these reptilian, so-called reptilian aliens, which aren't really aliens at all, th- this is all a grand deception. Where they really come from is ancient times. These are the Nephilim kings. These are the ancient rulers. These are the ancient overloads. They're the same as vampires and most other supernatural creatures. You see, the Nephilim were not just giants. A lot of them were giants. That's just happened. That's something that happens when you mix a bunch of weird DNA together, you get giants. But a lot of them were just monsters. They were monstrous creatures. For example, we could go back and look in the the book of Enoch, most specifically the book of giants. In fact, uh, we'd have to look at the battle that takes place, you know, the, the huge battle between the good guys, the angels from heaven and the fallen watchers or the Grigori as they were known. Excuse me. So this huge battle is taking place. And before the archangels come in with their fire and brimstone and clean up the whole mess and get us ready for the flood, some of these bad guys on the side of the Grigori, the fallen watchers and the and their giant sons, there were what they call demons in there. And the demons were actually shape-shifting into humans so that they could hide amongst the humans during the battle. They were trying to get away. They knew they were going to lose. And why is that? Why does it talk about demon shapeshifting? It's because they, they can shapeshift. Just like our idea of modern day, 
I'm sorry, modern day reptilian aliens shape-shifting. This is the same phenomena in what we've seen throughout the world with vampires transforming and werewolves transforming. Transform, Transylvania. This tradition, this royal tradition of half God or half alien or half whatever kings, somebody like Prince Charles would love this stuff because he knows all about it. I mean, he goes around bragging how he's related to Vlad Dracula, who is also related to Elizabeth Bathory. And Prince Charles is also a member of the Order of the Bath, which is actually a secret society. They tell you it's about one thing, but what it's really about are these people that bathe in blood and they're able to to take in the regenerative properties of the blood. That's where the vampire tradition actually comes from. I mean, if we look at the Bible again, and we look at, let's look at Leviticus 17.14. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And, and basically what this passage refers to it's Yahweh forbidding the drinking of blood because that's why the Israelites were forbidden from mixing with the Canaanites because the Canaanites were ball worshipers. They were drinking blood because they know that the blood has power in it. It has stem cells. It has all kinds of chemicals like adrenochrome that will get us high. And it's not just adrenochrome. There's a lot more to blood than that. Mm. I definitely think... Uh... There's definitely something to do with blood, I think, when it comes to uh, magic, for sure. I, you know, um, my opinion with reptilians, you know, I, I've had my own uh, idea in the past from David Icke. And um, I do think that he was, <laughs> his way <clears throat> of saying it, I've often wondered if it was just another parable. Uh, maybe he didn't really want to come out and exactly say what he really thought they were and played it off uh you know, in the storyline that he, he gave us. But, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm saying that because other things that he has touched on are very uh, occulted stuff as well, like the Saturn Moon Matrix. You can see that in occultism and magic and in the Kabbalah. So I often wonder if this is something that he just didn't come out and say directly. But, um, you know, the reptiles are oftenly used as a symbol of, like, spirit here in the Earth, you know, in form. And a lot of times you'll get lions because now that's like the zodiac sign and that's more of in spirit. So you'll get like uh, symbols like that for like um, like crossing the abyss and just being in spirit, not in the form. I often think of reptilians as people that might be uh, naturally prone or just have perfected uh, the bouncing of back and forth. Well, yeah, I can actually explain this. So basically where the reason we see reptilian aliens, the reason why they're associated with royalty, the reason why that they are shapeshifters, and also the reason why they're associated with the occult is they go all the way back to ancient times. If, if we look at Sumerian, if we look at where the gods of Sumeria came from, the Anunnaki, you know, Zechariah, Sitchin, et cetera, et cetera, well, they all come from the same primordial matriarch being, a primordial chaos dragon called Tiamat. So this is the dragon and any of these gods that came from Tiamat, they are also dragons. They're dragon gods like 
our um, favorite lady of the year, Madame Blavatsky, spoke of. She wrote quite a bit about the dragon gods and how they would go from place to place around the world and alter DNA and seed life. Well, these are this exact same people that have been in every culture. I mean, we can go to Africa and look into Voodoo, the Voodoo culture, and their gods are all snakes and dragons and things like that. Those Voodoo people are obsessed with snakes, and you see it just about just about everywhere else as well. The gods in ancient India mirror the gods in ancient Egypt, which mirror the Sumerian gods, which mirror the Canaanite gods, which mirror the Roman gods, which mirror the Greek gods. And it just keeps going and going. They're all the same gods and they all come from the same original primordial dragon. And that's why you see a lot of this gargoyle reptilian imagery yes. associated with yeah. demons. This is where it all comes from. These and they even think dragon is the same thing. It can be used for the same thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it comes from the Bible. It says clearly in the Bible that there were dragons. Like if we look in Isaiah, when God is talking about the destruction of Babylon, he's like, it might not have been Babylon. It might have been one of these other cities. But during that collection of passages, it says something about, oh, all the humans are going to clear out and dragons are going to hang out here. Well, why would it talk so extensively about dragons in the Bible if there were no dragons? That doesn't make sense. Obviously, these creatures were the same as our dinosaurs. I mean, what's a dinosaur? It, it's a dragon. It's a thunder lizard. Okay, it can't breathe fire or fly. Do we know that for one thing? And even if they can't, aren't they still pretty impressive anyways? Aren't they dragons by all accounts? I mean, a T-Rex looks like a dragon to me. So why are we calling them dinosaurs? Have you ever gotten a chance to look into the work of uh, Tracy Twyman? I have not only looked into her work, but I followed in her footsteps and I ran into some scary AI gang stalking crap and I got the hell away from it. <laughs> well, the reason why that I bring it up is because, you know, during that 10 year period of where she claims that she is uh, communicating through uh, the specialty Ouija board, that, uh, that she was communicating with these different entities and they would answer certain questions for her. And then eventually she asked, uh, I forget what question it was, but they said, oh, if you want to ask that, you have to talk to Lucifer. And so she channels Lucifer through this Ouija board and things begin really calm and, and things are sort of normal. She's communicating with this entity. Then the entity begins to ask her to do things, perform certain, you know, uh, like jobs for this, uh, for, for him. And then to eventually start this secret society. And anyway, during one of the channeling sessions, uh, she says that the behavior of this entity changed quickly. Um, and that it seemed very frustrated, and, like angry with her and that it revealed that it, the whole reason why, uh, that they're communicating is because the entity is more or less trying to weaken the veil, right? So that, uh, you know, dimensions between third dimension, fourth dimension, you know, second dimension, the veils are thinner and uh, that they wanted to be able to more, more or less manifest into our world. Right. So uh, the entity goes on to explain that it doesn't like us, that it hates us because we are, it, it says that uh, we're favored in God's image, right? That God created us a bit more special than them, and they've always been pissed off about it ever ever since. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, when you think about it, that makes perfect sense as to what how that would fit in with this shape-shifting reptilian thing, because 
well, what are reptiles, what is the most, you know, wild thing about the way that reptiles' brains are compared to ours? Well, they do not have feeling. They do not have emotion. Reptile, I've kept reptiles for like seven years. Big snakes. I'm talking reticulated pythons, anacondas, stuff like that. And these animals are absolutely, when they say cold-blooded, yeah, they're cold-blooded, but not only are they cold-blooded, but you can see in their eyes there is just no emotion. There's no attachment. doesn't matter how long you keep them. You know, 10 years doesn't matter. It, it, you make one wrong move, they're going to bite you. Something bad could really happen. So you see this difference of whatever these, you know, they're using the, the uh, idea of reptilian, I think, also as a way to explain their behavior, right? So that they have no emotion or, or things like that. And uh, I, I just wonder sometimes if we, if it, it, instead of them being an actual reptile, that it's more the mindset of a reptile, right? So not having feeling or, or emotion. And, you know, these... Uh, these giants or, or uh, shape-shifting entities. I definitely think there's some type of interaction between our dimension, like you said, them being here potentially a, a lot longer. We're able to slip in between these uh, dimensions or frequencies where we can't see them, which would explain mm. shape-shifting stuff. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting the way that all made me think of uh, the Tracy Twyman stuff. Yeah, you really have to be careful with anything Lucifer related because this Lucifer thing is the crux of the entire deception. These Luciferians are master deceivers and so are their masters. And what they do is they brainwash you and they get you thinking that Lucifer's the good guy and they get you thinking that he's Jesus Christ. And what ends up happening is your whole belief system ends up becoming inverted and you end up delving deeper and deeper into black magic and the occult, which is exactly what happened to me. I started communicating with this Lucifer spirit and it started asking me to do more and more things and possess people began to stalk me and they would offer me lots of information, information about history. They'd give me little starting points to jump on. And I was also witnessing supernatural sort of stuff around the house, especially when I was messing with the occult and doing these rituals. And eventually what I come to, I came to find out was that I, I was indeed being deceived. I was basically being used by this Lucifer entity, which I don't really believe is Lucifer anymore. I mean, like I was saying earlier, most likely Lucifer was a, a pagan man that lived in the Celtic regions and was just a nice guy that taught people not to sacrifice and not to kill each other. He was kind of like, the Jesus Christ of that time and region, but the same way that they'll copy Christ and duplicate him is the same way that they'll copy Lucifer. So this Lucifer that the, the Illuminati so-called Illuminati and the secret societies worship is actually a very powerful arch demon. And he's very hungry for blood and he's very manipulative and he's, he's involved in vampire magic and he's, he's evolved in chaos magic and, and he will turn your entire life to chaos. And that's exactly what he did to me. And it's tied right into the reptilian world. Again, these these gods, these ancient gods, they are the reptilians. I would say demons are kind of like their cousins. A demon is like a spiritual, like a 4D or a 5D spiritual being that doesn't really have a body or anything like that. Whereas reptilians might be a little bit higher up the totem pole, like the um, the fallen watchers, such as Belial, 
if we go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, found alongside the Dead Sea Scrolls were these Qumran, a specific text identified as 4Q535 Manuscript B. It says, I saw two watchers in my vision, the dream vision. Two men were fighting over me, holding a great contest over me. I asked them, who are you that you are thus empowered over me? They answered, we have been empowered and rule over all mankind. They said to me, which of us do you choose to rule you? I raised my eyes and looked. One of them was terrified in his appearance, like a serpent, his cloak, many colored, yet very dark. And I looked again, and in his appearance, his visage like a viper, I replied to him, this watcher, who is he? He answered, this watcher, his three names are Belial and Prince of Darkness and King of Evil. I said to the watcher, my Lord, what dominion have you? He answered, you saw, and he is empowered over all darkness, while I am empowered over light. My three names are Michael, Prince of Light, and King of Righteousness. So that's another clue that these so-called watchers, these fallen angels, were indeed reptilian, if that makes sense. That's pretty wild. It is, indeed. And this Belial, he very well might be the same as Baal or Bell. Well, I, I, I mean, Lux, what do you think about that? I would think the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen, like, a, I think, like, the same sigil, but just different spelling used as well. So these people that are supposedly Satanists, you know, you hear this a lot and it drives me nuts. Oh, they're Luciferians. They're Satanists. You're a Satanist. This person's a Satanist. Okay. Well, who is Satan? What exactly is he? Where does he come from? What does he want? You see this Satanic tradition, what it really is, is a, a long lost draconian system. That's why these bad people, that's why they're obsessed with life extension that's why they're obsessed with drinking blood that's why they're obsessed with you know molesting children trafficking children stealing kids away from their parents because young people have fresh chemicals in their blood they have lots of stem stem cells and they're perfect candidates to turn into these disgusting potions that these these dracula related <laughs> royals Blue, so-called blue bloods will actually use for life extension, which, like I was saying earlier, gives them a huge advantage over us. And not only are they extending their lives, but they're able to reincarnate too, because this whole world is just a big reincarnation loop. And they know how to reincarnate into their own bloodlines. So when you hear about um, such and such royal blah, blah, blah ritual and a, a demon, a, a demon did a walk-in on such and such individual. What you're actually hearing about is this ancient draconian reptilian occult practice of ancient kings reincarnating into their own bloodlines. And this is why, guys, this is why bloodlines are so important. Because not only are these Nephilim kings reincarnating into their own bloodlines, but also they're very worried about Jesus Christ being born as well, because he's the root and offspring of David. He's going to be born into his own bloodline, which very well might be the original Merovingian bloodline, which was usurped and replaced by the church with a different family called the Carolinians. So the real Merovingian bloodline is out there. It's lost. And our Messiah might be born somewhere in the wilds or something. We wouldn't even know it. And they're trying to board all these babies and hunt down bloodlines and put weird things in our bodies we don't even know what's going on. 
Yeah, I have actually, uh, New York Patriot and I have talked about the reason, one of the reasons we think that they're pushing the, you know, jabby jab so hard is because there's something in it that's uh, altering DNA. Uh, and it, I think it's definitely being done on purpose. Yeah, I think it's the recycling into the fucking Matrix. Yeah, some type of like anchor. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a grounding real. Right. Or, or, yeah, yeah. Or maybe even erasing uh, that, you know, genetic memory or material that we have from our ancestors and things like that. I think that you're really spot on with that. Anytime we're introducing anything unnatural into our systems, it's going to lower our vibration. And once you your vibration gets low enough, it makes you very easy to manipulate by these, you know, demonic beings or whatever the heck they are, entities that are kind of all around us in this space. They can easily resonate with us once we re, once we become closer to their vibration. So that's why, like, if you're in a really bad mood, you'll start to think, like, some really thick, sick things. You know, you, you think bad things when you're in a bad mood because you're vibrating at the same frequency as these demonic beings. And at that point they're, they're able to get in your head and manipulate you. And that's why a lot of homeless people like, like the face eater guy, you know, the guy that ate the dude's face. Well, he was obviously possessed. I mean, the guy was into voodoo that tells you all you need to hear. So he probably had some sort of demonic passenger that was, you know, took control. And the first thing they usually do when they take control of you is, try to get you to go out and mess with people or kill something. So chances are that a lot of these people swinging their hands at the air, these so-called possessed people, or, or I'm sorry, these so-called homeless crazy people are actually possessed. Yeah, I don't, I haven't shared this with many people. Uh, I definitely don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I won't go into too much detail because, of of course, you know, we try and stay as anonymous as possible. But uh, someone in my family has uh, had severe, severe poltergeist. I don't think it's poltergeist. I I think it's definitely demonic, um, especially because of its behavior. But they've had problems uh, in every house that they've moved into. Uh, And we're talking we're talking like 15 houses, dude. And. Eventually, things have gotten so bad. I mean, one thing that we noted right off the bat is that it started small, tapping on doors, windows, things like that. You know, then a cabinet would open. And then before long, you know, that caused a lot of fear in this person's life. And the more fear, the more the activity uh, strengthened or got, um, you know, more intense. So there's certainly a reason why they want that vibration fear because it gives them power right it's like a battery for them so um yeah and eventually unfortunately the, the end of the story has not been good it, it it's ruined the life of of this person um both physically and mentally and it's a it's a totally different person uh than they were 15 years ago it's really really sad to see wow yes yeah, sorry to hear that I would say that's a, a very classic case of a, a demonic nest or a shadow person nest starting in somebody's home. And it, it's actually, it can be easy or it can be hard to get rid of them. I hear of them, you know, attaching to people and, and these people can't seem to break that connection. But really, 
if you raise your vibration and you clean your house out with some sage and you do some kind of protection spell, like let's say you call upon the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse the house or you um, envision a, you you guys are from the cult world. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you envision a bubble around yourself or you use the lesser banishment ritual of the pentagram. Mm. Yeah. If you take these measures, they, they do work. I mean, it's magic is all psychological. So, you know, you're creating certain energies to repel this lower vibration. And and once you do that, if you can really stop fearing these beings because they feed off of your fear, if you can stop fearing them, then you can take control. Like in the when I started getting into magic, like I, I used to be terrified of shadow beings. I used to be terrified of demons. But I started to tell myself, because I was a big fan of uh, my buddy Eric at EA Quedding, and I started telling myself, why am I afraid of this thing? I'm a god. I'm the sorcerer. I'm in control. I'm the magician. These things are my fucking, oh, I'm sorry. These things are my bitches, right? I'll be straight up honest. It was times when I was like, you know, I even mind fucked myself doing magic and shit. You know, just getting, like, fucking creeping myself out, weirding myself out. <laughs> I'm like, yo, why the fuck am I doing this to myself? Like, this is all inside my fucking head. Well, you did have some crazy physical stuff that oh, happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, but that was, I mean, that's even prior to that. I mean, that was, like, you oh, know, okay. in the middle, like, in the, you know, probably in the middle of my magical practices. Like, you know, I, I think, like, at times when I was just trying to step it up, like, with the whole way of the ceremony I did or... You know, I was going extra. Maybe it just kind of like weirded me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, really, it was like maybe too much. What happened? Was, uh, what happened? Paranoid and shit. And, uh, yeah, I would just like question. Like, I would think like I'm like seeing shit in the corner of my eyes, or is like something behind me. And I'd be like, all right, this shit's just in my fucking head. And then like I, I'd, I'd meditate for a few minutes and then just go back to normal. Yeah, you know, it's been my experience that if you have that feeling, like the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. Or seeing stuff in the corner of your eye it's like a, a basic defense mechanism that your aura has kind of against these entities and it it very well might mean that um, something's trying to connect with you something's in the room etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you feel that way i recommend you know doing one of those purification spells and reaffirming your own you know psychological mastery of your surroundings you know, and uh, I wanted to get back to uh, not to get back off this topic, but we were just talking about COVID and stuff with the the jab. You know, and, and you going on about vibrations and stuff. Um, I you know we don't know what the fuck's really in that shit, and I I often think if there's like something in there that might, um, maybe pick up a certain frequency better, you know, or be able to kind of like reflect it or you know pick it up and kind of put it out as well. Um, like, you know, you could kind of like hit, hit a switch or type in uh, or tap into a specific frequency and, uh, really start like shocking people with just a certain vibration itself, which is going to reflect your body and your mind. If you pay attention to it. Absolutely. I would say that. That, that like weirds me out with this shit. Cause it's like, you know, we really could be a lot worse than most people even think. Yeah. When I. When I started to get into magic, you know, I had no idea what I was doing and no idea how to really rationalize its existence or the fact that it works. And what I came to find is really it's all about these energy currents. Some of them have existed since ancient times 
or you might hear the word egregore being thrown around, like the idea that maybe maybe you're creating Lucifer. Like if you go online and you get everybody into Lucifer and you're all talking about Lucifer, well, Lucifer might be kind of an egregore that you're actually creating, like a like a psychic sort of entity that only exists because you're feeding it energy. I mean, I don't personally believe that about uh, Lucifer. I, I know what Lucifer is, but I could definitely see how people could create thought forms and golems and things like that. And you can also jump onto certain streams, uh, streams or energy currents, like this whole Luciferian energy current. This is what all the Illuminati and all the so-called reptilian aliens and a lot, a lot of these demons and, and things like that are actually doing. They're, hopping aboard the Luciferian current. And there, there's also a Lilith current as well, which is really scary. That's actually the main vampire current in, in the vampire world. Um, if you look in, you know, Revelations, once again, if you go to, let's see here, Re- Revelation 17, once again, you get into to the whole thing about the whore sitting on top of the beast the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and bedecked with gold and jewels and pearls, holding her hand, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. There you go once again, drunk with blood. Blood drinking and revelations, go figure. And and to me, it sounds a lot like Lilith. I mean, I don't know if Lilith is is the whore of Babylon, but Lilith was a so many different representations throughout all different types of pantheons. Yeah, Scarlet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you were mentioning something about egregores before, and I I wanted to bring that up. Sure. Uh, You know, I know that's kind of a big deal, or it is used in the OTO. I do know, like, you know, higher up, I think they get into that stuff. Like I always say, uh, James Wasserman even had a book on it. Um, I I do think there's, a, like, a, two different kind of, like, ways of doing it. Um, there is, I think, like, you know, if, if you put it this way, if you have, like, a temple with maybe, like, 20 people together trying to create some, like, mindset that they're all, like, you know, attributing to, I, I do think that's possible, but it's, you know, not that – I don't think it's going to be that all that great. You know, you'd probably have to have like a real, real big mindset. So, you know, when you look at the whole way that the egregore works, is it really that those people are giving themselves or giving up their power to feed this? Or are they coming up with the psyop that is going to make the public give up their power to feed it? I would say... Absolutely, now that would bold. work a hell of a lot better because you're going to have hundreds and millions and thousands of people now instead of 20 people in a lodge. I would say absolutely both. In fact, if you were to like join the CIA or FBI, I bet you would hit a level within the organization where things start to break down and you enter into more of a surreal reality just full of supernatural and magical symbols and things of that nature. The CIA and FBI are just kind of at the forefront for us to see. But underlying them are lots of other alphabet organizations, and these are the ones that actually go out and gang stalk, gang stalk people. 
And a lot of these organizations are full of occultists who never joined any secret society or anything like that. They are literally just people that became deeply interested in black magic and the occult and at some point broke down and completely gave up their free will and their bodies over to a demon. And now the demon pretty much controls everything that they do. And these are actually some of the people that have been gang stalking me. It's been going on ever since I got into Lucifer, ever since I went got into magic. Now these freaking creepy ass possessed people will not leave me alone. Is those some of your fans? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they are. They seem to love me. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I've heard stories from other shows, just you know, wild stories about people that will hit them up on social media. You never know. Yeah, it's some really creepy stuff. I mean, you know, I, I know you guys are, you know, from the occult world and, and whatnot, but I mean, I can say personally, I'm not criticizing it, but I, I don't want anything to do with it ever again. I mean, um, I, I'm all, all about the Bible. I'm all about the King James Bible. I'm all about God. I'm about Christ. I don't want anything to do with magic or anything like that anymore. Um, just because it's purely, it scared the shit out of me. I mean, um, I pretty much came face to face with Satan himself. And at that point I was just like, you know what? I'm done. This is all like, they're they're trying to brainwash me they're trying to pull me back in they want me to teach magic they want me to teach black magic through my platform i'm not going to do it i'm not going to be this freaking agent of the antichrist i'm just not going to do it was this like a uh a physical experience that you had or was it uh, just sort of like a progression where you noticed things were getting worse or, or was there an actual like confrontation point yeah exactly so i i can't really talk about this individual because he's sort of a public figure but um, he started getting into my stuff when I was getting into magic and, you know, we were kind of co-promoting and stuff together. And he, he, he always told me he was possessed and, um, I, you know, I kind of half believe it cause I'm skeptical. It's kind of like, Oh, this is so fun. I want to see if magic works. And, you know, that's how it started out for me. I only halfway believed it. Like I wasn't, I, I believed in God, but you know, I had my doubts, but he, he always told me he was possessed and. I came across some information and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I found some stuff about the demon that's in you, buddy. You want to hear about it? He's like, yeah. So we get together privately. You know, it's, it's, it's all happening. Um, it's all happening. And, uh, I, I start telling him what I found out and he starts to go into these seizures and shit. And I was like, what the hell is going on? This is weird. I don't know why he's going into seizures, but, um, I, I guess what was happening was like the demon was taking him over while I was trying to tell him this stuff. And that night, I just, I, I had an epiphany, if you want to call it that, or a breakdown maybe. And I, I just said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I don't want anything to do with this stuff. I, I see what it is now. I see it's like a manipulation. And it's just these demons trying to, like, teach me inverted things, teach me lies about Lucifer and make me think he's the good guy and make me think, like, the Illuminati is good. I, I was pretty much just starting to join the Illuminati. And I had all these demons around me that I thought were, like, the good guys. And that I was like related to these royals and these blue blood people. I thought I was one of them. I, I just shook it off. I was like, this is deception. I'm so through with this. And and then uh, I know this is hard to believe, but the, the Archangel Michael actually began speaking with me and, and letting me know kind of things are going to be okay and I can calm down. And ever since that night, I, I just let all my like really hardcore magic friends just kind of go. And I just said, you know, what? I'm going to be about God from now on. I'm, I'm tired of the lies and deception. This isn't me. Wow. Well, that Archangel Michael could have been God. It just represented to you in that form. Yeah, that's definitely. Cool. Yeah, that's wild, man. I mean, if I saw that shit, I'd be done too. Yeah, I was getting to the point where I was actually starting to crave blood. 
Like I, I just wanted it. Yeah, it was like that shit I was telling you about with Midnight Mass. You know, prior to prior to recording, uh-huh. right there, like, you know, at the end, you know, all the all this weird, you know, in my opinion, the show's a cult of shit. And at the end, there's like this discomfort in people and this bloodlust and like just acting out and killing. It's very weird. Yeah. And when does that, when does it happen too? It's after either what they get bit, but also there's a scene in that show where they're all sitting in a church and, uh, you know, this, the pastor or priest is up there talking and doing the sermon, but you know, unbeknownst to the uh, congregation and stuff, this priest has been having this, uh, relationship with this demon and then this. Yeah, so this demon, so he says, you know, again, the same thing. This priest gets convinced the demon is actually an angel. He's a good guy. And uh, the demon tells him, well, if you want everyone to, to, you know, be special and live longer, all you have to do is do communion with my blood. So he is in, you know, so the priest is up there and then the doors swing open to the church. And this guy, which is obviously a demon, but it's a big robed figure, comes walking down the hall of the church. and then. He cuts open his his arm or hand or something and pours a bunch of blood into a chalice, this demon. And then the priest says, you know, this is my blood, take it. And so then after these people drink the blood, then that's when things go totally apeshit. And they start, you know, thirsting for more blood. And Holy shit. Dying. They die first. They die first and then he brings them back. Yeah. Would even sh- in my opinion, that even shows like you crossed over one somewhere and came back, and something is wrong now. Yeah, I, you know, there's always the possibility. You know, I just have to throw this out there that the great majority, or even all of this like draconian reptilian stuff, it could be a deception. I mean, it could entirely be demonic, and the um, whole draconian reptilian thing is just like an overlay. Like when people shapeshift, they might just have tons and tons of demons inside of them that are sort of giving them this shapeshifting power. I mean, it's just a possibility. It's not what I personally believe, but I've I've looked at yeah. that. It's a, it's a very interesting and like, you know, when you really want to start looking at the reptilian thing of being a, more of a cult type shit, yeah, it really kind of opens the door more for other ideas and possibilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Patriot, you you were in the OTO, right? Yes. Did the, I'm just talking about like what I've heard of them. If I'm totally wrong of this and this is like offensive, I totally understand. I'm just like throwing this out there because I heard of this. I heard they like make you drink like cum and shit and stuff like that. Is there any truth to that? Uh, not that I have ever seen. I mean, I will say uh, some of the members, I don't know about the shit, but uh, I mean, some of the members will probably just do that on their own as well anyway. What about blood? Did you see anything like that? Uh, No, no. I never saw any. I mean, hmm. The cakes of light do have. Uh, I forget. I always forget about that. <laughs> they do have um, menstrual fluid in them, but it's cooked out. Well, baked down to an ash. And there then, we go. And then put into uh, the like the batch mix again without blood. You'll add that back into it, and then they'll bake that. Little star so, fire. Yeah. So it. Yeah. Yeah. I always forgot about that. So I guess you know in the Gnostic mass, if you do communion. That will be in the uh, cake of light. 
Yeah, and, and again, I mean, these are just the same traditions that Crowley was very well-versed in, but he didn't really talk about it very much. But it's it's dragon magic. It's draconian stuff. It's the real hard, hard, hardcore stuff that, you know, is passed down from ancient, ancient times. Uh, uh, one thing that's always stuck with me about that story with the Cakes of Light stuff uh, is that you said that after a while you started to want more of them. Like, oh well, you know, I'm gonna be told. The first time I tried one, I thought they were good. They taste like a fig Newton. I had no idea what it was. You know, <laughs> I was just like, "Yo, those things are fucking good." <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, you know what's funny? That was even another reason why I started getting into the mass. Because if you did the mass, for some reason, you were not allowed to. Uh, well, they changed it at some point. If you did the mass. In the OTO, you were allowed to do communion afterwards. It's like, I guess whoever did the mass, you'd kind of just be hanging out afterwards after everybody leaves. And you would have the cakes of light and the the wine. But at some point, they changed the rule and you couldn't. So I was like, oh, well, as long as I'm in the mass, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, one thing that uh, – one story that got me really sort of like impressed with Crowley – and kind of on the whole, like, oh, I'm the master thing was this story about all these people gathered together and they're doing a ritual and they're summoning a demon and they build a protection circle around themselves. And like after they're done, Crowley just like walks right over. He's just like, you know what? I don't give a crap. He just walks out of the protection circle because he knows like he, he knew he was in control. He, you know, he didn't have any like doubts about a demon attacking him or being able to overpower him in any way. He just walked right out there and everybody was like stunned. What happened with him and Israel Rigardi? Didn't he just like allow whatever he was dealing with coming to him, and then you know it ended up not being too well for Rigardi? But well, yeah, he definitely did come into him. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I mean, you know, if he was really getting raped by Crowley and he banished him, that's pretty impressive. I mean, they can, that's it's a. I mean, I think it's a pretty credible story. I've heard it a. a bunch of times you know i mean I, w- I would say the story at least almost kind of like makes sense i think the story is that like crowley you know became possessed by it and it realized you know i'm in the desert all i have to do is throw sand over the circle and i have an out which you know kind of makes sense i guess and uh, that's how it got to him i think hmm yeah 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 anything to do with crowley is just i, I mean I've heard other stories of him just like walking on the street with somebody and he'll kind of twist his leg a certain way and somebody oh, off yeah. of the distance will start like stumbling. Yeah. yeah, I've read that too, yeah. What was it? I think he was wanting to prove to somebody that, uh, you know, with magic or his magic abilities. And I think like he kind of imitated like going to fall to his knees and he made the person in front of him a few feet ahead of him like fell just the way yeah, Crowley like was imitating. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Like he had he had like because when you get really into the cold and really into magic, not only do you like, you know, not only do you get results when you do these spells and stuff, but also you sort of gain an overall occult power. Like your body starts to contain more of this magical energy. That's one way of putting it. And you tend to become like more psychic and, and more able to like manipulate things around oh. you and stuff like that. That's oh, yeah. what I think. Uh, the, 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 one of the real problems with magic is, is that if you happen to, you know, well, depending on what you're even dealing with, I mean, you could already be looking for something screwed up. But like, even if you're doing something and you don't have the worst of intentions or had bad intentions, you know, you could still possibly, if you don't know what you're doing, pick something up and, uh, 
I think like you're saying, you will end up with extra energy and it may not be the type that you really wanted to have. And you're going to be giving that off. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to affect you too. Like the, um, the antichrist, the Illuminati themselves, not that they're the Illuminati once again, but they actually call the antichrist. They call him the coming supernatural king because he's going to have all kinds of occult power. He's going to be a very powerful magician. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really... It's funny how that whole uh, the whole Antichrist and Christ thing gets mixed up, you know? And purposely. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's just wild to me sometimes when I see, you know, uh, some Christians who will talk about, um, like, the, the... anti or you know that when the uh antichrist comes it's like a, you know a sign of the end times but for sex of judaism the antichrist would be their messiah and so then you, i see people christians who are like so supportive of like an ideology i don't think that they quite understand <laughs> what that means you know so yeah i know i know exactly what you're talking about and and there's also the Dajjal from the Muslim world, which is probably the more in-depth version of the Antichrist, like in terms of, he's he said to have one eye. And I mean, one eye, what does that mean? That's Illuminati. Didn't we cover him in the iPad Goat? Alex, didn't you like, uh, yes. you know, I think I'm yeah. like that, that demon dude? That yeah. Had the one eye. Yeah, I remember you picking that out. Damn, that was many moons ago. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I remember when... Uh, it's like the first thing we did together, I think. <laughs> yeah, I remember it when uh, at the end of IPEC, when uh, this Messiah entity is coming through the abyss. Oh, right? no, no. It was the dude in the TV, remember? Yeah, him. Him. But then you yeah. see that again on... Remember, it appears yeah. on the forehead of the guy coming out of the tunnel that looks... He's supposed to be the Messiah. Remember, and then he's got that same the same one eyed that was on the guy with the TV. It's on his forehead or Weird. his chest or something. Weird. Yeah. 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 I mean, that... know, I think we'll uh, probably just wrap it up there now. So okay. Could I say one more thing real quick? Yeah. Sure. 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 So, yeah. And please, and when you're done doing that, let everybody know where to find your stuff as well. Okay. Thank you. Um. So, uh, you know, during this whole occult thing, when I was being stalked by the demons and stuff like that, they they were asking me to make a sacrifice to Azazel or Azazel, and that I I've, I never killed anything. Like I gave my own blood plenty of times, and I thought that would be enough. But when they asked me to actually like make a sacrifice, I felt they were implying that I needed to kill something. And that's when I really started to realize that this was some serious evil shit going on. But I just want to tell everybody that. Like, even if you did do, like, stupid stuff like I did and you summoned demons and became their best friends and, and really stupid shit like that, you're not beyond redemption. Like, you can't really sell your soul. And the, and the reason you can't sell your soul is because God is more powerful, period. God is great. God is more powerful. So no matter how far you've fallen, even if you did some really messed up things, don't think you can't come back to God and you, and you can't come back to the light. And besides that, I just want to tell everybody to check me out on Friday nights on YouTube, End of Days Radio channel at 5 p.m. PST. We do open lines or do a show every Friday night. Also, you can get me on anywhere you can get podcasting, of course. 
Uh, but I do invite you to go to endofdaysradio.com. And if you enjoy my work, if you enjoy my show, please donate. You can donate through PayPal or you can donate Bitcoin. It helps me uh, tremendously when you do that. So go to endofdaysradio.com. And other than that, I really appreciate you guys at Cult Rejects, New York Patriot and Lux. You guys are very well-educated and I, I really enjoyed sitting down with you and absorbing some of your knowledge as well. Oh, no, this was a, this was a great episode, man. I had a lot to say. Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely brought some uh, somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, everybody, please go uh, check his his channel out. Check out his podcast. If you like this, please like, subscribe, and share it. I have my own show as well. If you did not know, that will be in the show notes as well as our Discord. Uh, Danny, you in our Discord? Uh, looks like I'm in there. In there now, yeah. hanging out. Yeah, yeah I am in there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no. Oh, no, I have to give you our other one. This is the one that we use just to record in. And uh, you start posting your stuff in there. Yeah, right so, on. So, yeah, if you want, uh, we'll have our Discord link in the show notes. Um, maybe you can even see his stuff in there as well. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That is the end of another Occult Rejects. I thank you all, again, for uh, listening. I, I thank all the fans. Um, I have a huge list that I have to go off. Uh, we'll probably do that at the Scarlet Horse series of fans I want to give thanks to, but like for real, like uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, messages and stuff and it's, it's awesome. Thank you for, you know, all you guys listening and thank you for everybody spending the time to listen. You know, that's just amazing. And uh, that's it until the next one. Later. <laughs>